Here we are on another Wednesday. It is November 16th, and we're going to be reading out of Deuteronomy. So turn in your Bibles to chapter 3. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, and he, all, he and all his people to battle at... So I'm, I'm reading out of a different Bible than I was last week. And, some of these, and I know when I get past some of these names and get over to chapter 4, I won't need my pronunciation, which is in my other Bible. So let me turn into that one. Now, I like reading out of the Schofield because it's large print, but I need to get past some of these names, and this one does better. The battle to battle at Edrei, and the Lord saith unto me, Fear him not, for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand, and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of of the Amorites which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we smote him until none was left to him remaining. And we, and we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we took not from them, three score cities, all the region of Argob. Now, what's three score? Sixty. Uh, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars beside unwalled towns a great many. So there were these bigger cities that were walled up and they're very, very well fortified, it didn't seem like that, was, that caused them much problem. They still took them. And then there was a whole bunch of smaller villages and towns around about that were not fenced with high walls. And we utterly destroyed them as we did unto Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. Now, they did not hurt the cities. They didn't destroy the cities. They destroyed the people that were in the cities. And then they um, actually used these cities. All right, verse 7, But all the cattle and the spoil of the cities we took for a prey to ourselves, and we took at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites <clears throat> the land that was on this side Jordan from the river of Arnon unto Mount Hermon, which Hermon the Sidonians call Syrian, and the Amorites call it Shenir. I think. Syrian, I think in one of the Psalms, it actually, it actually refers to this mountain as what the Sidonians uh, call it. Ten, all the cities of the plain, and all Gilead, and all Bashan, unto Salca, and 
Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It, it, <clears throat> is it not in Rabath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. That's the first 11 verses. So he, that particular king, was a very large person, uh, last of the giants. And, you know, was that his bed that he slept in, or was that his bed for being dead? You know, was that, was that his burial? Was that the place where they buried him, or was that the bed that he slept in? And once I read out of here, you'll understand why I'm asking that. All right, this is the Believer's Bible, com Bible Commentary, starting with verse 1, going through 11, and this is really short. Og, king of Bashan, had 60 cities, all fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, as well as many rural towns. The Lord God also delivered these enemies into the hands of his people. Og is remembered as a giant with a huge iron bedstead that was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. So that's about 13 to 14 feet long by six feet wide. Thompson says this bedstead was his final resting place, not his regular bed. And what he wrote in his writings, he said, on, on his death, he was buried in a massive sarcophagus, um, <clears throat> which also could be said to be a bedstead or a resting place, made of basalt, is that right, basalt, called iron, <clears throat> here because of its color, according to the record here, the sarcophagus could be seen in Raboth, Ammon, the modern Ammon, at the time Deuteronomy was committed to writing. Any questions about the first 11 verses? Again, chapter 3, the first three chapters are, are historical. Chapter 1 was a little better, but 2 and 3, the hist this is just history. Moses talking about what they had done and reminding them and so I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to try to get through chapter 3 kind of quick. If, you, if there's anything that stands out to you, feel free to stop me. All right, 12. Back to the Bible. Verse 12. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aroer, which is by the river Arnon, and half Mount Gilead, and the cities thereof gave I unto the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob with all Bashan, which was called the land of giants. We'll try to get to 20 before I stop. Right. Yeah, they're the ones that didn't want to go. Exactly. 
Exactly. So half the tribe of Manasseh wanted to go over, but there's, so there was land going to be appointed to every tribe except for Levi. And there was those three tribes that are mentioned right here, they decided they wanted to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan. Now they're going to be asked, you need to come over with us, fight, and then you can go back to your stuff afterwards. Okay, all right. 14, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the country of Argob unto the coast of Geshurai, and Mahakithai, if y'all can say it better, feel free, and called them after his own name, Bashan Havath Jair, Jair, unto this day. And I gave Gilead unto Machir, and unto the Reubenites, and unto the Gadites I gave from Gilead even unto the river Arnon, half the valley, and the border even unto the river Jabbok, which is the border of the children of Ammon. What, what's that? I'm not sure. Not sure. 17. The plain also, and, and Jordan, and the coast thereof, from Shinnereth, even unto the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, under Ashdoth Pisgah. Now, Pisgah, that's a famous mountain um, that we will see Moses standing on here in a little while. Eastward, and I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God hath given you this land to possess it. Ye shall pass over Arn before your brethren, the children of Israel, all that are meat for the war. That word M-E-E-T, meat, is suited for or ready for. That, would, that is what you are uh, prepared to do. But your wives and your little ones... All right. So that's the verse that I was talking about where Joy said that these tribes were on the wrong side of the river. That's the verse right there. It said that the Lord your God hath given you this land to possess it. Ye shall pass over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel, all that are meet for war. So those are the, the, the ones who are going to be fighting. They go over. You can leave all of your, your families behind. That's this verse right here. But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know that ye have much cattle, shall abide in your cities which I have given you. So, I, you know, these cities that they had taken, that they're going to use on that side of the Jordan, 20, until the Lord have given rest unto your brethren as well as unto you, and un until they also possess the land which the Lord your God hath given them beyond Jordan. And then shall ye return every man unto his possession which I have given you. So after they help secure the promised land, then they can go back over Jordan to all the stuff they possess in their land. 
the captured land east of the Jordan was distributed to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Moses commanded their men of valor to cross over, armed to aid their brethren, and conquer the territory west of the Jordan. Then they, so, you know, we, I already said all that, so I didn't really need to read that. So, all right, now let's go to 21 through 29, and then we'll be done with chapter 3, and then we'll get into some good stuff in 4. 21, and I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath, hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whither thou passest. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand, for what God, for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. Now this is Moses talking. He's, he's asked because he wants to go over too. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up into the top of Pisgah, there it is, and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and behold it, behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua, and encourage him, and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. Just a very short paragraph in this commentary, and it's really not sharing anything more than what we just read. Now, chapter 4. We're in chapter 4 now. I really wanted to get there. Um, sometimes you wonder why certain things are in the Bible, and there, there's going to be places in the Bible where it's just, it might just be name after name after name, and it can kind of wear you out. It's not going to be the most entertaining reading but it's there, and it's important that we read it. important that um, everyone who wants to know the Word of God, that they read all of it. Don't skip over things. Remember, we were talking about, you know, what would you tell a brand new person in the faith to read first out of the Bible? And most of the time, you're gonna, it's going to be the Gospel of John. And... It's because you want people to see the most important thing because we are not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So you try to get people to understand the gospel story, and that's got to be done. Now, you have words in the Bible. I'm working on a, a really cool message for Sunday, and... There are words, just basic words, 
that when you read them, you, over time, it really helps if you are truly born again, you're spirit-filled, and you can see things better, you can understand Scripture better. But just for those who are just reading, you'll start to pick up on things like that word believe that's in the Gospel of John over and over and over again. Believe, believeth, believest, believed. And that's one of those words. There's believing intellectually, but then there's believing with the heart. And we have to make the determination, which, what is this talking about in that particular passage about believe? And I'm going to share several other words on Sunday to help you understand some of the controversial passages in the Bible. When, you, when you're talking about salvation, you need to know that there is plenty of examples throughout the Word of God where you could not argue that a particular person that you're reading about was not part of the gang. You know, before Judas betrayed Jesus, he was right there with all the other disciples. He went out and did the same things they did. And you would have to say, he's one of them. But he wasn't really. He looked like he was. There's plenty of people today that are, you know, would be considered one of them. They're just one of those Christian people that are not saved. And they may be doing a lot of the right things, and, you, and I would say, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're good. They may pass away, and I'll do a funeral for them and be pretty sure that they're in heaven, not knowing that they really weren't. That's why it's so critical that people who call themselves Christians, that they do meet together. That they, you should have a desire in your heart to want to be with other believers, especially on that day that's appointed for all of us to come meet on Sunday morning. If you don't want to be there, that's telling you something. If you don't want to be in with other believers at that time that we have set apart the first day of the week, We've got the example in our Gospels. Uh, we got the example in, in Acts of meeting on the first day of the week and how they wanted to come together. Whether it be in house, little house churches, or going to the synagogue, they wanted to be together. And if you don't want to be with other Christians on Sunday, chances are you are not saved. You may know a lot about Jesus because you've heard people talk about him. You might know some things that are in the Bible, but that doesn't make you a true born-again child of God. There's plenty of people who just can't get to church and be with other believers. I'm not talking about them. But when they were younger, they wanted to be in church, and they came to church. You couldn't keep them away. <clears throat> but people who are very able to come and join in with other believers and they just don't do it, I don't have a whole lot of faith that they are good with God. So uh, 
try to get try to try to invite people to come and the if you hear the word there can be people who they just go to church because they know they're supposed to go to church and they may not really want to be there but they're coming but they're hearing the word and things can happen you know, a lot of guys that used to come to the jail Bible study, a lot of them, they just came because they were looking for something that might fix them, or they just wanted to be able to go to the court at their court date and say, I'm going to Bible study every week at the jail, and I'm really changing my life around. And, but if they're there, they're going to hear some good stuff. And I've had guys who just, they, they, they ended up, telling me that the only reason they came was either just to get out of the pod because it was a madhouse in there and that was just a way to get away so they signed up and came just for that purpose others came to try to challenge whoever the bible teacher was they wanted to be able to uh, ask really difficult questions they didn't think a pastor could answer just to cause a problem. I've heard all kinds of different reasons why they would come, but some of them heard the Word of God and they were changed. I mean, there's several, several that I, I witnessed something changed in them because they heard the Word. They were sitting there really not wanting to listen, but they heard it because they were there. And all of a sudden, you, you see them over there, you know, looking around, piddling around, and the next thing you know, they're going, what was that? And then they start getting into it. And once you to explain a little bit better, and then they start reading on their own, because they had a lot of time. They had a lot of time to go back to the pod and get into the Word of God, and they would come back. I can remember one guy where... And he, he was pretty dedicated, but he could not name off. He could not tell me what the Ten Commandments were. I just sprung it on him one night. I'm like, who in here can, can tell me all Ten Commandments? And he was over there, and he knew a few, and he was so mad at himself for not knowing them all. So the next week came around, and he was waiting for, for me to ask again. And I wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind. And he was sitting over there going, are you going to ask if anybody knows? You know, I'm like, what? Oh, oh, okay. And it, he, not only did he just name them, he read every bit of the verse that's in with it. So, uh, to make no graven image, I mean, he went into all the details of it. He didn't say... Uh, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. He, he read all, he was just memorized everything about it. It was very impressive, and he was so happy that he was able to do it. But things like that challenge people to get into the Word. And hearing, hearing the Word, it does something to people. It, it always does something good. All right, so we're in chapter 4 now, and we're going to get into the law and how precious the law is and how even if you're not interested in a relationship with Jesus, this law can make life on earth a whole lot better 
if you know about it and you try to follow it, things will be better. And hopefully, with this law and the prophets, it's going to get you turned and looking for a Savior at some point. But we've told people to read the, read the Gospel of John. They may not quite get it until they go back and read some of the law and the prophets and then go, oh, now it's starting to make sense. Hopefully they get it from the, from the get-go. I, don't, I mean, there's so many different examples of how people have come to the Lord, and they all seem to be so different. So there's no, you know, there's no exact formula for it. And, but people are made to think that, that you can just say, okay, I want to join up, and what do I do? Well, I have to walk up, and I have to say a sinner's prayer. You pray, and I'll repeat whatever you say, and at the end of it, then I'll be saved. Well, see, that doesn't work. But many... Preachers will tell you that's what you got to do, and I'm and I and I've gotten fussed at. I, I got fussed at at the jail. Guys who were in churches like that, and they're like, "Well, why aren't you, all, you know, giving people a chance to get saved?" I'm like, "I watched so and so get saved sitting right where he was. I saw him go from just deadness in his face and his eyes were just stone cold to he just totally transformed right in front of me." He, the Holy Spirit, got in him, and now he's a believer. And he would, he would have no problem coming up and doing what you want him to do. And so, let's, just, let's get back to Deuteronomy, chapter 4. I think I can go over to this other Bible now. I think I'm through all those names. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes. Notice some of these terms. Statutes. And unto the judgments. This is just synonyms for the law. Statutes, judgments, which I teach you for to... Do them. The reason I teach you is because I want you to actually do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Now, remember that the nation of Israel going into the promised land, going through the Jordan River, that going into the Jordan River was like us being baptized, and then that's our death, we die, and then we come up on the other side into our promised land, we're being resurrected. So we're buried with Jesus in death, but then we are resurrected, come up out of the other side of the Jordan into the promised land. That's what we need to see here as we're reading this. This is a picture of what we do when we are being led by the law and the prophets toward Jesus Christ, which in here is going to be Joshua, is going to be the person that takes them over to the promised land. All right, For us, it's Jesus who takes us over. 
into the, to our promised land. Now, you need to know God's Word. And that's what he's saying right here. He wants to make sure that you understand all of what God says. Remember, what Jesus told Satan, it's not by bread alone, but every word that comes from our Heavenly Father. Every word. So all of it's very important. We need to know it all. It seems overwhelming, but you need to see the big picture of how it all goes together. So he's teaching. Now here's, listen to this next verse, too. Ye shall not add unto the word which I commanded you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. That means nothing. Don't take anything away. Aught. That ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now, when you, when you hear that, or you read that, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. What does that make you think of? That verse right there. What pops into your head? Yeah? You know, the last chapter of the Bible talks about not changing, not adding to or taking away from, right? Well, it, this is Deuteronomy. And that's where you get this... Uh, now, I want to show you a place before this that you can kind of put in the same category, even though in my reference Bible here, it doesn't put it in the category. But there's four verses that are very similar that, that go along with this verse right we just read. Now, you know how much I have talked about certain newer versions of the Bible that have lost several verses. Complete verses are gone. I have shown you in so many places where parts of verses are gone. Right? You, you've, you've seen it. I've shown it to you. And this right here is telling us that we're not to add to or to take away from and I tie those together. Now here's some other places in the Word of God. See, the words of God are sacred. He had them written down. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Word down. And it's sacred. Don't mess with it. Leave it the way it is. Okay? So right here, we just, we just read that. So in the same book, Deuteronomy, if you go to Deuteronomy 12, 32, just write it down. It says, What thing soever I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So it's telling you again in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, in Proverbs 30, this might sound familiar to, to uh, all of us who read through Proverbs. You know, we've read through it recently, maybe multiple times. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 6 says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. 
So if you add something to the Word of God, then you will be found a liar. And then, of course, the, the one we were talking, I was talking about uh, Revelation twenty two nineteen. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part, it says his part, out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, it also, you'll see where if you add, he'll add the plagues. I think that's in 18. It's not in, in this little section where I got all these together. But I believe the verse right before it says, if you add to the words, he'll add the plagues that are talked about in the Bible to you. And then 19 is where if you take away then he will take away his, the person's part, whoever did it, his part out of the book of life. Now, if it said he will take him out of the book of life, that means he, would be, he wouldn't be, have any chance at eternity with God, but I think this is probably saying he'll take his part out, which would probably be his rewards. I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% on that. I just know that if a person is born again, he could get on board with a newer translation of the Bible and actually preach from it and be leaving words out. And then is he going to be losing his salvation? I don't think you can lose your salvation. I don't think you can. But you can lose a reward in heaven. Now there are some that aren't saved that want to change the Word of God. But I think there's plenty of well-meaning people who think they got a better, more modern translation that's easier to understand, and they like those, and they teach from those. But they're actually teaching from a Bible that has taken away. Now, if that newer version happens to be right, then the King James added too. But as much research as I've done on this, there's, no, they it, it, it didn't. They were, they were scared very scared to add or take away because they knew what the Word of God said. So when they added a word for clarity, it would be italicized, right? If they, they might have parentheses, but a lot of those were taken out of the manuscripts that they were reading, there was parentheses in it, or it was over to the side. So that, you know, they wrote it, and then they, you know how you can do something to the side and put a little arrow in there? There's things that might have been added, added from the person who, or they were right copying it and they, they missed something and they put it back in. They took all of that into account. They were very, very particular about it. All right, does that sound good? Now here's something else. If you go to, if you go to Joshua, I didn't mark it, but Joshua is the very next book. You don't have to go there. But if you go to the very end of Deuteronomy, Joshua chapter 1, listen, listen to this. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, that's very similar, isn't it? 
All right, don't add to or take away from, but here it says don't, don't go to the left of it or don't go to the right of it. Stay on course. So you could waver in, in following the commandments of God. You could get a little bit off to one way a little, or a little bit off the other way. Well, you're going to be in a ditch. If you keep wandering off to the side, you're going to end up in a ditch. So stay in line with what the Word of God says. So it's, it's very similar. And then, in Numbers, which is right before Deuteronomy, Numbers. In Numbers, we have the story of Balaam. Balaam is a very important character in the Word of God. He is mentioned in several places throughout the Bible. Balaam is an example of one of those people who knew God-given truth. He even preached prophecy. He saw things that most of us would love to be able to see given from God. He saw those things. He preached those things. He is talked about in the Word of God over and over again, but he's lost. He's lost. He's been in hell for, what, 3,000 years now? Something to think about. So, Balak, the king of the Moabites, he sent for this guy, Balaam, and he wants Balaam to put a curse on these people you know, we just read the first three chapters of Deuteronomy, and it was talking about how they were going through and, and wiping out the Amorites. Well, this uh, King Balak, this, this is Numbers 22, by the way. You could probably, yeah, you'll see the history of it right before in, in uh, 21. And then you see Balaam shows up in 22. Balaam was like a prophet for hire. He, he would be what we would call maybe a psychic. If you, you, you want to go to a psychic so that you can get them to tell you about your future, right? That's what he was good, good at. He was really good at that. And he was on speaking terms with God Almighty. He was not part of the nation of Israel. That's obvious. The nation of Israel was out there, doing, you know, walking around in the desert. They were starting to defeat these people. God was with them, and they were getting closer and closer to getting to the Jordan where they can go into the land that God had promised them. And Balak sent messengers so that Balaam can put a curse on all this, these people. So the, the verse that I want you to see is 19... Uh, 18. It's 18. So he gets, he gets all of the... He, he's being asked, will you come and do this? And he says, he, he tells the, the messengers, look, i got to go talk to God about this. And God tells him what to do. And then he comes back and tells these guys, look at 18, it says, And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God 
to do less or more. You see why? I, I mean, when I, when I read that verse over in Deuteronomy, I, as soon as I read that verse about don't add to and don't take away from, I remember that right there. Because I just love the story of Balaam. He had a talking donkey. That is awesome. You know, somebody asked uh, some theologian, do you really believe that that story is true in the Bible? He's like, absolutely. And he, and he, told, he told somebody, you make, you make a donkey and I'll make it speak. Which basically said, you, you ain't making no donkey and, I'm, and I don't have to worry about making it speak, but you know what? We're talking about God. God made the donkey. God was able to shut the mouth of people. He was able to open the mouth of a donkey. There, so that's another example of whatever the Word of God is saying, don't do more or less. Do what it says. Trust it. Joshua chapter 1. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right. All kinds of examples in the Word of God to where you might think you could add something to it and make it a little better, or you can take this away. Be very careful about doing stuff like that. Remember a couple Sundays ago, I was talking about Leviticus 2, talking about no leaven. It was the celebration Sunday, and I was talking about no leaven. Do you remember the other thing that was not supposed to be added? Anybody remember? You're supposed to add salt. They're supposed to be mingled with oil, right? But it was no leaven and no... Anybody remember? I read it. Honey, what does that mean? Think about it. it. That was a picture of Jesus Christ, right? In that whole, uh, was it a meal offering, a meat offering? It was an offering, and it was the fine flour uh, mingled with oil. There was no leaven to be added and no honey. And that, in, in those couple verses that I read out of, I think it was Leviticus 2, 11, 12, 13 possibly. I can look in my notes that are over there. But he said, the, the, what it said was, no leaven added to it and no honey. So what I think is, you know, some, some of you here would say, well, that preacher is just a feel-good preacher. All right? I've heard, I've heard people say that around here. You know, that particular preacher, yeah, he's, he's all right, but he's just a feel-good preacher. He doesn't preach the hard stuff. So what they're doing is they're only preaching the good stuff, the sweet stuff. Everybody feel good and all cozy when they leave out of here. There's people that that's all they want. When they come to church, they want, to, they want the honey. Don't give me any of the other. You know, don't give me the bad stuff. I just want the honey. Sweeten it up for me. Jesus, love, 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 right? 
so forgiving and loving and all that, you know, and that is true, but you're forgetting that he's either going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost or he's going to baptize you in fire. So if I add honey to it, then I'm not preaching about the hell, right? So we're going to have all of it because I'm not mixing in the honey because I was told not to way back in Leviticus. No leaven, no corruption because Jesus is perfect. And keep all the sweet stuff out too. You're going to have to take it the way it is. See, sugar hides the real thing. So you may not like this particular uh, oats and bran that you should be eating for breakfast, so you coat it with sugar and put it in a box and sell it, and everybody loves it, and they eat it, eat it, eat it, because the sugar is all over it. The good stuff's there, but you, you, know, you, you covered up the good with the sugar. So we cannot have a sugar-coated Jesus. we got to have the real Jesus has to be preached. All right, so we got to, what, verse 2 of chapter 4? You see why I was so excited about getting to chapter 4? All right, well, we'll be done. And it's a, uh, it'll be a, a good place to stop, and we can get back into it next week. So if you're reading ahead, uh, you can read uh, the first 24 verses. It gets into talking about the Ten Commandments and things like that. Uh, so, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your statutes, your judgments, your precepts. Father, all of the things that you instruct us in your word, Father, we call it your word, we call it the law. There are so many different names that we have. And Father, I pray that we would be interested in reading all of it. But Father, not just reading for an intellectual purpose, but Father, we read it with our hearts as well. Father, that we would pray that it would change us and it would direct us, and that we would be a people that are preaching a sermon by the example that we live everywhere we go that we will be an example father we know that our actions can bring either glory to you or shame to you and father help us to be a good example and father help us to be salt and light and father we just want to pray to you that more people around us that are around this church that their hearts would be touched father we're praying that the holy spirit will touch minds and hearts and father that people would be drawn to come here to meet with other believers father we want more people to come and Father, we're asking that you would help us in that. Father, begin to show us things that we may not be doing right, things that we could do better at. Father, just help us to see those things that we might need to change. 
so that we would be a better example for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to be washed with your word. And Father, we thank you for the shed blood that has washed us of all of our sins. And Father, just help us to be bold and to tell others about it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.